before we do. We consider especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. And as we begin today, we're going to talk a little bit about questions. The sort of questions that, that every person has, and, and sometimes they change over time. That maybe a young child wonders, why do we have mosquitoes? Why do we have spiders? That one's fairly simple. We have mosquitoes to feed the spiders and spiders to eat the mosquitoes. Other childlike questions are slightly more difficult. Why do things smell the way that they do? And then every now and then, they drop one that's a little bit more challenging. Why did grandma, grandpa have to pass away? Where are they now? And why can't they be here? And every now and then, those sort of questions echo exactly what we think, what we feel, what we have wondered and asked, the sort of questions that, that get buried as we go about our everyday lives, the sort of questions that we hear an answer to in Scripture, the sort of questions that, that sometimes only bubble up when we're singing a song and the memories all come flooding back. And part of the reason why it's distressing and why we have these questions, why do things happen the way that they do, and why does my loved one have to pass away, and how can I be sure? How can I be sure that he or she is with Jesus now? Because it sounds so, so beyond my human experience, and it sounds so incredible as to be something that's almost too good to be true. And part of the reason, part of the question isn't just that we have questions, but that we have a conscience. That we have a conscience that every time we see the announcement in the paper or attend the visitation for a friend, we have a conscience that echoes, this too is yours. We have a conscience that echoes that this also is for you. A conscience that says, this loved one of ours, whether they lived for a few days or many, died as a result of sin. That sin wasn't part of, of God's design. But the fact that young and old alike pass away from disease, accident, or what we just term old age. The fact that all people die is proof that my conscience is right. And every, every announcement, every funeral is almost a reminder of that fact that I can't escape. The fact that despite my best efforts to quiet the conscience, despite a lifetime of trying to ignore the conscience, despite every effort to balance it out and, and quiet it, finally, get that thing to shut up, Despite all of my efforts to make the conscience go silent by what I do, it's never enough. And that sort of question just kind of bubbles up to the surface when we know this loved one who has passed away. 
and we know the, the pain and the sorrow in our own hearts and lives. And it is so totally contrary to the way Jesus describes things in his word. Where Jesus makes a promise to you and to me, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he said that while Lazarus was still lying in the tomb. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And with that statement, and many others like it, what Jesus unveils for us is the reality of life and death and of an answer to life and death that goes beyond life in this world. What Jesus unveils for us is that all of us, each of us, born into this world with a deep need for baptism, all of us, each of us, as cute as we were in that, that first infant stage, needing to be born again through water and the Word. All of us, each of us, equally under the wrath of God and equally unable to approach God on our own merit. And so when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, I am the resurrection and the life, what he's saying is that when he brought you to faith, he brought you from death to life. He brought you into a life with him that he wants to nurture and keep you in through your entire life until he brings you to this place that he describes in our readings today. Now, the other thing, as we kind of start talking about, um, especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke, is that back in 1993, when the, the red hymnal came out, um, we had green up at the front of church until the end of October, and then we had, uh, then we had red for Reformation and Last Judgment, and then we had two final Sundays in November for, uh, that were white, uh, Saints Triumphant Sunday and Christ the King Sunday. And it was, it, was, it was a nice idea, but it didn't catch on with anybody else in Christianity. And so with this blue hymnal, we switch back to what everybody else in Christianity has been doing since around the year 300, which is um, celebrating one Sunday that we call All Saints Day. And it's basically the same as, um, as Saints Triumphant Sunday, if you remember that. And I don't know about you, but it's some of my favorite hymns. And on this All Saints Day, that officially is the day after October 31st. So October 31st, Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, all the children dress up and go door to door, and, um, and that's the day that, that Martin Luther had posted the 95 Theses. All Hallows' Eve, because it is the evening before the holy day of All Saints Day. And on All Saints Day, we, we celebrate God's grace to his people in the past and God's promises to his people in the present. That this gracious God is the one who has made promises that are stronger than all of our concerns, all of our conscience, and all of our worries. And he describes for us an eternity that goes beyond anything that we experience in this life and an eternity that more than fulfills any loss that we have experienced in this life. And in our gospel lesson, Jesus defends that fact. Because even though, even though you and I know that when somebody passes away, we know that as a Christian, we will see that, that fellow Christian again in heaven. 
And at the same time, there's the conscience that says, this too comes for me. But the reality is that this Jesus raised himself from the dead to guarantee not only your forgiveness, but your life forever. And of all the, of all the ideas and of all the truths that we see in Scripture, that resurrection from the dead is the linchpin that holds them all together. That if Jesus had not raised himself from the dead, then we have no purpose in being here. That if Jesus had not physically come out of that tomb, body and soul, then Christianity is no better than any other um, series of morals or ethics in this entire world. That if Jesus Christ had not been raised, then the dead will not be raised either, and your faith is futile, empty, and useless. But you remember how Paul concludes that. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And when Paul says that, he is also opening our eyes to the exact same thing that Isaiah tried to describe for us, that your life, that our life, in heaven isn't going to be bouncing around on the clouds like little precious moments figurines with harps, but that your life and your forever in heaven is going to be with this same body and soul that, yeah, each of us is going to be placed in the ground um, if we happen to pass away before Jesus returns. But his promise is that because of his resurrection, when he, turns, when he returns in judgment, his promise is that he will raise all people from the dead that he will raise all people from the dead and that Christians will be raised with the glorified body, that your very body will be reassembled to the body that you have now, except without sin, without pain, without any deficiency of any sort. And it's that truth that is our comfort on All Saints Day. It's that, it's that truth which is our comfort at any funeral. It's that truth and that truth alone that can finally silence the conscience. The conscience you know, that voice of God's law that says you'll never measure up. And the truth of, of the resurrection says, I know, but my Jesus has. He has carried my sin. He has raised himself from the dead as proof of my forgiveness. And even though, even though by myself, I will never, can never measure up, my Jesus has. And as a result, I will be raised from the dead also. And it's that central truth of the resurrection that sets Christianity apart from any other religion in the world. It's that central truth that you, with this very same body and soul, will be reassembled in a glorified way after Judgment Day to live in a new heavens and a new earth. It's that central truth that, that makes Christianity so dangerous. It's that central truth that Jesus addresses today in our gospel lesson. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus, and they think that they've got their, their question, their killer question that, they, that Jesus won't be able to answer. These Sadducees, they are kind of the, um, I guess, secular humanists of the day. They, in other words, they don't, they don't believe anything that they don't see with their eyes. And they want to, they want to say that they're part of... Um, the believing Jewish people, but that they only hold to the first five books of Moses. So I, go, I guess those are the two things that we need to know about the Sadducees. Number one, that they reject anything supernatural. Miracles don't exist, angels don't exist, and there must be some other explanation. 
and that number two, um, the only two books that they accepted as God's word were the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they think they've got their, their ringer of a question, their closer of a question that will finally put to rest this whole Jesus thing, that will finally put to rest this whole question of whether Jesus actually is the Messiah. Lord, surely, surely you have an answer for this. This woman was married to seven different brothers in succession. And as, as part of their, their society, the, the legal way in which property stayed within a family, um, that, was, that was necessary. That if a brother was willing to provide an heir who would then be counted as the heir associated with that property, then he would marry the widow. So anyway, the question sounds preposterous. Lord, she's married to seven different guys, um, didn't have a child with any of them, and at this supposed resurrection that you're talking about, at this supposed resurrection, whose wife will she be? And you can see the, the smirk and the smile as they sit back and wait for Jesus to provide an answer. Surely, surely, you've got an answer for this. And all they're expecting is either Jesus has to admit that the idea of the resurrection is preposterous or that, um, that there must be something wrong with their culture. And what they think that they've got, Jesus painted into a corner. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? A question that's really, surely you can't believe in a resurrection. Have you encountered that? That objection? Whether it's the worry, concern, doubt within one's own heart that says, I don't know where my loved one is, or whether it's someone from outside that says, you Christians really believe that? Or whether it's somebody in, in the, even within Christianity, like tune into the local Christian music station and try to listen for how often they talk about a literal resurrection. That this central truth of Christianity is, yes, slowly being squeezed to the side of Christian proclamation because it's easier to talk about how Jesus is going to help me to live my best life now and how Jesus is going to provide for all of my needs and my worries right now. And it's easy to talk about that and to ignore what Jesus has done for you and me. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Surely you Mr. or Mrs. Christian, surely you can't believe that this Jesus actually raised himself from the dead. And look how he answers. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, and, um, and you know, verses 34 through, through 36, he basically says, the question of marriage isn't one for the resurrection. The question of marriage is, is for today. And as Paul says in the book of Romans, that when a person dies, then the surviving spouse is released from the law of marriage. But Jesus goes on. Even Moses showed in the account about the burning bush that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
And what he's saying here, what he's saying here is the fact that here's Moses 600 years after Abraham. And Moses is standing here in front of this burning bush and it's not burning up. And Moses is standing here barefoot in front of this burning bush. (laughs) And what God is saying is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive right now. That they are not lost. And the fact that they are alive right now means that, that God's promise to raise them from the dead will also be fulfilled. That God had promised to, to raise them from the dead and he is fulfilling, keeping that promise right now by keeping those loved ones, those believers, safe with him in heaven. And he will fulfill and follow through on that promise of the resurrection from the dead. And you and I rejoice in that fact. That, that our Lord pulls back the curtain just a little bit and gives us a glimpse of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, of you know, Revelation 7, that great multitude that no one could count with palm branches in their hands and singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Of Revelation 21, I saw the city, the new Jerusalem, coming out, down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Revelation 22, um, the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and the gates are never shut in that city. That our Lord takes so much effort to try and describe what won't be there because he knows the concerns of our hearts. He knows the doubt that creeps in. He knows the worries that that pursue us and plague us. And so he wants to say time and again in as many different ways as possible that number one, your fellow believing Christian who is safe with Jesus. And number two, you will see your fellow believing Christian again because they are members of the same church as you. The, the church triumphant, there's one church with two parts. The church triumphant, those who are in heaven now, and we in the church militant who still have to fight against sin and death and pain. That you are in fellowship with that believing church triumphant right now. And that when your Lord brings you to heaven, you'll see your loved one again. And not only that, not only that, that after the resurrection of the dead, you will be able to even walk hand in hand, that same hand, that same person, down the streets of gold and marvel at the beauty of the Lamb who was raised, the Lamb who raised himself from the dead. And so on this, on this All Saints Day celebration, you know, All Saints Day actually falls on November 1st, the day after All Hallows' Eve. Perhaps the best way to think of this is that maybe when you, you drive around your neighborhood, um, especially last week or so, you saw a lot of like Halloween decorations. Some of them kind of cute, and some of them like just the giant inflatable thing with its arm waving. That was our neighborhood. <laughs> and some of them even quite um, grotesque and almost verging into a celebration of death. We didn't, we didn't really decorate our house at least externally. But in hindsight, this was suggested by a friend, of, a friend of mine, that for all the people who put all the effort into all the decorations, how much more beautiful do we have as Christians? How much more beautiful truth that All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day isn't a celebration of death, but a celebration of life, 
that even if the house isn't decorated with, with all the cobwebs and skeletons, that the Christian and the Christian's heart is decorated with Christian truth. That, and that even, you know, a lot of our churches would have a, a cemetery just on the other side of the church wall, symbolizing that we, together with them, are members of the same church, that as we, as we kneel at the altar, they also rejoice in the church triumphant. And how much more beautiful, aside from costumes and candy, which is all, which is all well and good and quite fun and delicious, how much more beautiful to celebrate All Hallows' Eve by attending a cemetery of Christians and sitting down with um, 1, Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We believe that Jesus died and rose. And so we will believe that Jesus will bring with him all who have fallen asleep in him and that at the last trumpet, the Lord will raise them and they will be changed at the last trumpet in the twinkling of an eye. The reality of the resurrection brought home to your life and mine for comfort today, for eternity tomorrow.